0: You're listening to Robert
1: Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Tim. Hey, Bob. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing just fine. Uh, Let me introduce this. I'm Robert Wright, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter. This is the Non-Zero Podcast. You're Timothy B. Lee, publisher of the Understanding AI Newsletter. That's and we're right. going to talk about artificial intelligence, and we're going to start off by talking about a piece uh, in your newsletter that got a lot of uh, favorable attention, a lot of likes. Is this, a, is this a record for likes? You were in the hundreds. You had three figures in the likes department. Is that a record for this newsletter?
0: Yes, I think so. Yeah, I got uh-huh. um, 200 and some. Um, and, yeah, I've got uh, a lot of people, like 100, 100 people about it read it. So,
1: yeah, really? Yeah, Whoa, good, that's yeah. big. That's big. Yeah, congratulations! Thank you. Uh, and now it's our job to explain to people why this is what the the uh, conveyed to them the vast illumination that is also conveyed by this piece, which they're free to go read. Of course, it's called the piece is called "Large Language Models Explained with a Minimum of Math and Jargon." Now, you were on uh, my podcast uh, not that long ago, and we talked a little about how these things work. But it sounds like you've learned uh, a fair amount since then. For one thing, you collaborated with a cognitive scientist. Now you you yeah. have a master's in computer science, right? So you're not right. like a babe in the woods. But um, this uh, cognitive scientist uh, brought what kind of expertise to it? I guess cognitive science related expertise. Yeah, it. I mean, so so he is a cognitive
0: scientist who um his research is kind of using a part of his research is using large language models as kind of a model for the brain and. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, because one of the things that's hard about cognitive research is you can't, like, take somebody's brain apart and look to see how it works. And there's many kinds of experiments that wouldn't be ethical to do. And so um, by looking at the ways large language models work, you can get kind of insights into maybe this is how the brain works. Obviously, it doesn't prove anything, but it's it's interesting and suggestive. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, the way the piece came about is I was just trying to write an explainer of large language models. And I had two or three conversations with him where I just found that, like, uh he was giving me a lot of insight. And so at some point I felt like I was kind of summarizing a lot of what he told me. And so um yeah, I invited him to uh to kind of to to become a co-author and um partly just because I wanted to make sure I wasn't like screwing anything up and I figured if he was putting his name on it, he would be, you know, motivated to make sure that the the kind of technical details were correct.
1: And he's got a newsletter too, right? Yep. Yeah. And it's it, I think yeah, it's, the piece it, can be found good. there too. Yeah. The the um so and what's his name? did you say his name john trott t r o t t um so now I have a little bit of a hidden agenda here. uh when I wrote months ago about how these large language models work when I was just starting to try to figure it out mm-hmm. uh and I should add, I still haven't totally figured it out, but i i Ventured the idea that in a certain sense these LLMs were kind of reverse engineering the, the human mind, and I haven't gotten a lot of sympathy for that view. Um, but there's a version of it I think I want to defend, I want to keep defending. Uh, and and uh, but but before I explain why I want to keep defending it, which I'll do at some point in this conversation uh, after we've talked about your piece a little. Uh, I want to ask you, does that sound crazy to you?
0: I think it depends what you mean by reverse engineering. So at the very highest level of abstraction, which I think this is something we talked about before, um, they're both, uh, both the brain and large language models are created through this impersonal uh, kind of bottom-up process where nobody like designs it. It's you start off with this kind of random process, and then by a feedback mechanism, you try to select for a version of the brain or the language model that is more likely to achieve the objective. Which in humans is obviously reproduction, and in the large language model is predicting the next word. Mm. And that has leads to some similar results in the sense that nobody really understands fully how the brain works because nobody designed it. It's not necessarily like doesn't necessarily have like a clean design the way like a computer chip or something would. And by the same token, the large language model, nobody designed it. And so you can kind of poke and prod it and get a rough sense of, oh, this piece of it seems to be doing this and that piece is doing that. But there's not necessarily any specific kind of overall conceptual design. And yeah, there's nobody out there that can can like explain it to you because it was uh, kind of an evolutionary process that produced it. Yeah.
1: I guess what I kind of mean is that by reverse engineering, I mean, what the LLM has access to is our linguistic output. Mm -hmm. And it it almost makes certain inferences about the kind of mind that would be able to produce that linguistic output. And some parts of what it does, I think do correspond to the way our mind works. Some parts don't. But uh, let's start off with a part that I think Kind of does, uh, which is this whole idea of word vectors. Yes. Now, tell me if I've got uh you, you go through this in 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 detail and it's fascinating. I also talked about this with uh, Tim Nguyen, who works at DeepMind. Uh so viewers and listeners uh may may uh feel uh some familiarity with it, but um let's take an example that's not in your piece. So Um, and let's take just a two-dimensional representation of a word. Now, as we'll see, these word vectors have a lot of dimensions. But if you were just going to plot a word on a horizontal and vertical axis, uh, suppose that you were thinking about animals, and the two things were kind of how potentially lethal they are and how fast they can move. Okay so scorpions rattlesnakes bears would all be at roughly the same potential lethality but in terms of how fast they move they'd be very different right right and i would think that in the mind those dimensions are in some sense represented right in the human mind yeah. now All the uh, nobody goes in and says to the large language model, "Okay, I want you to map animals by lethality and and by speed. But I would guess that there are dimensions of mapping that are done by the LLM that do roughly correspond to that. And I would guess that, that that's based on seeing sentences like, you know. I saw the scorpion and scurried away, as opposed to I saw the bear and ran as fast as I could for as long as I could. You'll have a lot of sentences with bears where people flee rapidly with scorpions, they move away and so on. And although these LLMs go into this with no preconceived ideas about meaning, nothing about meaning is programmed in, into them from the get go, they see so many of these sentences. That, uh, you know, given the way they are told to work in a very generic sense, they they can they, they not only map words along a bunch of dimensions, they create the dimensions, they decide what the dimensions are going to be. And of course, yeah. they don't give them a name like level of lethality, but right. that's what they are. There's a, there's right. probably a dimension corresponding to that, right? right. And yeah. so, that's that's what I mean is that is does that you see what I mean? The, the LLM is just using our linguistic uh, output and working backwards to come up with a kind of semantic map that I think does correspond with a semantic map that is in the human mind.
0: Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, what what it's trying to do is it's trying to predict what a human, the next thing a human being would say and right. to have a good way of predicting that you have to have, you have to model the kind of thoughts that human beings would have. Right. And so, yeah, functionally it's absolutely trying to reverse engineer um the, in a in a semantic sense, is trying to reverse engineer the way humans think, not necessarily in a mechanical sense, in the sense that it's like the neurons in the human brain are necessarily yeah. similar to the neurons. But yes, in a in a in sense of meaning, um, and it's, I mean, it's really fascinating. So so one of the the most interesting uh, aspects of these vectors is, as as I say in the pieces, you can do uh, arithmetic with the vectors. And so if you take yeah. uh, if you start with a vector for man, and um, I'm sorry, you start with a vector for king. And you subtract man and add woman, you get queen. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's an analogy that, you know, a a queen is a female king. Um, And there are lots and lots of examples of this. If you go from uh, singular to plural, um, from,
1: you know, uh, big to bigger to biggest. Well, here's an example from your piece. Uh, Google researchers took the vector for biggest, subtracted big, and added small and they got smallest. So that shows that some of these dimensions of the vector, and by the way, there are like 11,000 dimensions, okay? Like I have trouble thinking of a graph that has more than three dimensions. They're like 11,000 something, right? Right, yeah. And, uh, and some of them clearly uh, are about, uh, you know, in some sense grammar or linguistic function as opposed to mm-hmm. being more about meaning as we think of it. And that's a good example. Right. Another example of this math is Berlin plus Berlin minus Germany plus France equals, and then, you know, that equation takes you to a place in multidimensional vector space where the closest word is Paris, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that seems kind of magic. I mean, the first part of what I was saying seems to me magic. <laughs> like, well, or what I would say is, it is just clearly an amazingly powerful thing. You can feed all this language into it. It has you say nothing about the meaning, and it constructs this elaborate semantic map, uh, where words are cl- close to other words that are similar in various respects. And I think most people are by now familiar with the results, which is that it's a whole lot like talking to a person. Yeah. And one,
0: one of the other really remarkable things is if you do this with um uh body of documents that includes multiple languages um, and doesn't necessarily have paired text. It's just a bunch of English sentences and a bunch of Spanish sentences. Um, it, the large language models will get the ability to do translations kind of for free if you just ask it, can you translate this to another language? Um, and I think a big reason for that is it figures out that the vector space that it used for English, many of the same dimensions also will work in Spanish. And so it will figure out, you know, that the the, the English word for dog is and the so word for dog should be kind of in a similar um you know part of vector space
1: so let me get clear on this i think originally the way translation was done was they had human done translations yeah and they said uh, como esta usted corresponds to how are you right and they had a bunch of those things and 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 uh but they showed them you know, they show those correspondences to the computer, and you're saying there's a whole other way to do translation. Now, is that do you feed it the English in and say this is English, and just feed the Spanish in and say this is Spanish? No, you just no. you just feed a bunch of texts, and it kind of figures out that one is in one language and one is in another. Yeah. See, this is like—I mean—I'm I, I, not sure people appreciate. I mean, I mean uh, this is
0: this is not just hypothetical, like like ChatGPT. You can talk Mm -hmm. to it in Spanish. You can talk to it in English. And I I can't tell you there's no documents in there that have this is the English and this is the Spanish because it's like the whole Mm -hmm. Internet. But they didn't deliberately give it like anything like that. It didn't say like these are the English texts and the Spanish text. It's just like a big blob of text in dozens of languages. And it because, you know, what it's trying to do is it's trying to to model human concepts and concepts in Spanish have corresponding things and concepts in English. And so if you figure out those correspondents, that makes you better at the prediction task because things you learned about the world in Spanish are going to apply in English and French. And so, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's like um, it's pretty magical. And I don't think we like totally understand how to do that. But I think that's that's one of the things I find most persuasive. That's like it's sometimes like really understanding, um, mm-hmm. you know, what's happening, because, you know, if, if, certainly human. If you said here's an English, Spanish English sentence, what's the Spanish equivalent? And they're able to do it. You would say clearly they Understand English and Spanish in some sense.
1: Yeah, the um, there's another amazing example in your piece. It's drawn from that uh paper about uh sparks of uh artificial general intelligence. Right when ChatGPT four came out, uh, some researchers researchers at Microsoft put this out, and they noted some striking abilities of. Were they talking about GPT three or four? Anyway. Some striking abilities. It
0: was, was gpt 4 before it, okay. before it came out. Microsoft. Yeah, the, 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 the chance um to play with it.
1: And these were things they called emergent because they weren't necessarily expected, I guess. But one of them was the one, one of the ones you talk about is it's fed a bunch of texts, and some of the texts mention unicorns. And then you give it like some kind of like art generating software and say, draw a unicorn. And is that and look, anybody who saw it would go, well, that's a comically crude version of a unicorn. Yes, but it got the basic idea. And to me, that seems a little magical. Um, yeah,
0: and it's important to say, so there are versions of GPT that, that, ha- that look at images, but this was a version that only looked at words. So it had never seen a picture of a unicorn. Yeah, mm-hmm. I assume it had read some descriptions of unicorns um, and somehow had figured out, you know, had learned to kind of reason... Graphically or or geometrically somehow, Um, yeah. Because because that's not
1: predicting the next word. (laughs) I mean, that's drawing something.
0: Uh huh. Well, I mean, the probably it it so so that it it wasn't that it was given software. It was that there was a programming language that had examples in the text of here are some some things being drawn in this programming language. Not necessarily unicorns, but other things.
1: Okay. And so it learned. uh, Ah. You know. Ah. Okay. So it's predicting the next line of code and it yeah. has seen cases where where code objects and, other rendered in human language corresponds to certain kinds of code. Right. Okay. Still, I'm impressed. You know what I heard uh, yeah. recently on an AI podcast is that uh, you know um, and you'll be glad this hasn't happened yet given how much work you you spent trying to explain Transformers is that uh, you know, transformers aren't going to be the last word, so to speak. And they're already talking about some approach. I forget what it's called, but rather than predict uh, the next um, sequence of letters or predict next word, it, it's more generic than that. It just predicts the next byte. It just predicts. Mm. And, and, and that means that it can handle language. It can handle music. It can handle in principle, anything. Have mm. you heard anything about this?
0: Yeah, I think you're talking about there is a, a meta had a paper about this. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of different um, kind of successor algorithms to transformers that people are experimenting with. I don't I don't think it's clear if any of those are going to be important, but transformers also can be used uh, for more than words. So um, like the you might have heard about uh, Google's DeepMind had a famous result a couple of years ago where they did pro- the protein folding problem where you're trying to predict you've got a sequence of amino acids and you're trying to predict what shape the resulting right. protein will be. Um, and this is really important for biology. Um, and DeepMind created an AI that solved this problem that had been uh, that humans hadn't been able to solve in in a general way. And that also used a version of the transformer. So, oh, did um, it? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a it's a pretty general. So rather than predicting the next word, I'm not actually sure exactly what it's predicting, but it's you know predicting the next. Um, yeah, I'm not sure the details of how that worked, but they use a very yeah. similar architecture. Um, and Tesla is using um, for their self driving car, they're using a version of the transformer for some of the image processing. So people are applying. Both the transformer and other similar algorithms to a lot of different types of
1: problems. Uh huh. Okay. So, um, so speaking of transformers, um, you do get into them with some, uh, in some depth. Um, they emerge, I guess, from this paper in what is it, uh, 2017 called "Attention yep. Is All You Need," which came out mm-hmm. of Google yep. and uh, was well transformative. Uh, <laughs> you might say. Um yep. And So you divide kind of the magic into two steps. There's the attention step Mm -hmm. where, well, why don't you go ahead and talk about, and then there's the feed forward step. Now, first of all, is it possible to characterize like, I mean, these are the two big steps in generating linguistic output. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, how would you characterize the difference between the two steps?
0: So, so the first thing I think it's important
1: to say is that the
0: structure of the overall large language model is it's a bunch of um, transformers. Um, and so it does these two steps over and over again. So it does an attention step, a feed-forward step, another attention step, another feed-forward step. Um, and so GP, GPT-3, mm-hmm. the largest version. You mean, you mean version. with a
1: given word in a sentence, it will it will do yes. those things over and over and over and over again. right?
0: And so like the version, the biggest version of gpt 3, it does it 96 times. So it'll be 96 attention steps with a three a step in between each one. Um and so and so what the, what they do is um the attention step, I I think about it as kind of looking around. So if for each word, it um the uh the algorithm will sorry, sorry step back. And there's several, it's a little bit complicated. So there's The the attention step for a given word, um, each word is looking for other words that provide context to better understand the meaning of the word and predict what word might come after it. Mm -hmm. And so in the attention step, each word will advertise um, the kind of characteristics it's looking for in other words. And each word will also publish, here's my own characteristics, and then it will match up the words that have the the most similarities in terms of that kind of matchmaking Mm -hmm. It'll match those up and it'll transfer information from the word that uh had the characteristics to the word that's looking for the characteristics. Um so it's it's um it, it's, I think that an example is, is helpful here. So the, I think the example I give in the piece is if you have like a, a pronoun like his and you're trying to figure out who does his um refer to, right. the um there's there's one that's called a query vector. This is what I'm looking for. It says maybe I'm looking for you know a name of a male person. Um and then the that if say the the person it refers to as John, that word might have a, what's it called a key vector describing its own characteristics. Say, I am a male person. And then the attention stack will notice, okay, these match, like what this word was looking for and what this word has match up. And so therefore I'm going to take information about John and move it to the vector for his so that then mm-hmm. the large language model understands that his probably refers to John. Um, so that's one example, but there are each um, each at each, each time the attention step happens, there's um, a, a bunch of different attention heads. They're called each of which does a different thing. So one might be meant might be matching up pronouns with what they refer to. Um, one might be doing disambiguation. So another mm-hmm. example I use in the piece is a word like bank. You can have a financial institution bank or you can have a river bank. And so you might have a, a attention head that's trying to figure out for ambiguous
1: words. You know which of these. And so, there's so in each, that each attention- case, mm-hmm. let me ask. You a question. So in that case. Uh, you know, in this vast semantic space, multi-dimensional um, vector space, there are at least two banks, So they're in different places. One refers to yep. like money bank, another to river bank. Uh, and and what the attention uh, step is doing in that case is is just saying it's this bank for this sentence. It's this bank. What's based on what's come before? I have high confidence that it's 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 the bank that's right here in semantic space, not the other one. But in the case of the pronoun right mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like well you tell me it's not like there's a version of his for every possible name or i mean or is it in semantic space or is so, it, in other words well you see you get my question kind of
0: yeah it's 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 so it's hard to say there's these these 12 dimension 12 thousand dimensional vectors that you can think i i think of it as just kind of a scratch space right for each word the the AI has a bunch of data that it can store about the word. And you can think about it as a vector. And some of the dimensions of the vector have the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, but it's because they're not labeled, it's not like this is the one for size of animal and this is for whatever. Um, it can be a little hard to tell at a very micro level, like exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. You just observe the results. So you observe um, so, so so I have an example in there where it um has a sentence where there's two people, John and Mary and they trace how it decides that Mary should be the, the next word rather than John. And right. there's like nine attention heads that each do a little piece of that job. And if you like look at it really closely, it's that you, you can observe that if you disable some of those attention heads, it doesn't get the right answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tell oh, information moving from here to here, but the exact kind of format or meaning of any particular bit of information is a little fuzzy. So mm-hmm. um, so, to answer, so, so to answer your question, it... it it's going to have some information about John, whether that's literally copying kind of the name John over or um, saying something like it's that word four steps back. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Maybe the real experts here could be able to tell you a little bit more, but it's not it's not anything simple that you would be able to look yeah. at it and say, oh, this is, you know, anything clear. It's just it's adding okay. information to the to the vector.
1: Let me ask you this. As it generates a sentence, mm-hmm. is it. um so you know, John gave Mary the. Or suppose it's given that sentence. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, or John walked into the. Uh, before John walked into the restaurant, he gave his car keys to the. Right. And then you know, it's likely like valet. But anyway, as you as you um, as you, does the attention head, uh, at any given point when it's about to generate another word, um, well, is the whole LLM. Predicting the next word based on some kind of uh, some kind of aggregate summation or something that is embodied in the last word it has seen. In other words, does it just move from left to right, generating the sentence? And at any point, the last word uh, uh, so successfully embodies all the relevant information embedded in prior words. That like that, in a sense, it's only looking at that word as transformed by context, you might say.
0: That's right. Yeah. So the attention head is looking at the previous words and plucking out whatever information it thinks is relevant and putting it in that last word. And then then when you get to the end of the process, there's enough information that you can make a prediction about what the next word is going to be. And is
1: the mathematical operation, the key mathematical operation at that point, has it, it's kind of located it at the place in semantic space where it just looks around for the nearest word and that's what it puts? Do you know um, what I mean? Like- that, I, so I don't think you
0: can say in general. There is okay. a, at, at the end there's, so, so again, all of this stuff is trained through this evolutionary process. And so there's some function at the end where you take the last, the, the previous word and you run it through this function and it produces a prediction for the new word. Um, in some sense, yes, I think often the, uh, there's an encoding for the next word in that last word somehow. But I don't think there's there's not like a real simple rule that like that that is definitely the vector for the next word. It's it's more complicated than but,
1: that. But somehow, okay. So I I kind of blurred the distinction I tried to make earlier. You've got the attention step, yes. where, where it's kind of looking around at other words in order to uh, help to grab or,
0: information
1: to but, grab information and kind of in a sense embed them in in this in this one word it's looking at now. Embed that mm-hmm. information, and then you've got the feed forward step where it actually ponders the thing and generates the next word. Um that's right. is Does the feed forward step always lead to, I, I hope this isn't the same question I just asked you. Once you're at the feed forward step and it's about to spit out the next word, is it always the case that what it's looking at is a number in, with 11,000 dimensions? In other words, a you know, series of numbers and commas, I guess. Um, right. th- that's the output. And then it goes to that point in semantic space and snatches the nearest word?
0: Um, so the, the final, so, so two things. the So again, these um, there's, in, in the version of ChatGPT, I was, of GTP, GPT-3 I was writing about, there's 96, um, 96 attention steps and 96 feed-forward steps. So it goes back and forth between them. Um, so it does an attention yeah. step, a feed-forward step, an attention step, a feed-forward step, 96 times. And so each of those feed-forward steps is refining the vector in a way that will make it easier to predict the next word. Um, but then at the very, very end of the process, there's a final function that takes that final representation and produces a next word prediction. Uh-huh. And I don't think you can say anything super in general about what that final vector is. Um, I think often, well, so, so a, a concrete example here um, is. Uh, so again, remember, I, I was saying before that, that I have an example where it's deciding whether to say John or Mary um, as the next word in a sentence involving John and Mary. Um, there is evidence that it's taking the, it's finding Mary earlier in the sentence, moving into the end. And then in some sense, there's a function that takes that final vector and spits out Mary. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of complicated, I think. Uh, so, but l- 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 let me talk a little about the fee forward step. So, the other example I have in the piece is um we were talking about this, how you can use vectors to do reasoning by analogy. And so, one of the pieces of research I looked at um had a large language model that was tr- answering the question, What's the capital of Poland? And this is the case where it wasn't based on the attention mechanism because the answer, Warsaw, was not in the sentence. And so, here it had to um quote unquote remember the fact from its training data, presumably in its training data. There were a bunch of sentences that mentioned that Warsaw was the capital of Poland, um, and the way it did that is actually using this vector math. So there, it, it, there one of the feed forward steps would take a representation representation for Poland and add some vector that transforms Poland into Warsaw, and mm-hmm. then um, and that would produce a, a vector that then would predict Warsaw as the next word. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't sure. know if that answers your question.
1: Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, it seems kind of odd to me that it does go back and forth that way between attention and feed forward. Uh, because every time it does the feed forward, it kind of tentatively predicts the next word, but then in some sense decides that's not good enough. I I mean, I think that's, I think that's
0: thinking about it too simply. So what what the feed forward, um, step is doing is it's, it's also, I think, adding context to the word. Uh Um, so, so, so I, I, one way to think about this is to think about what what the, the different feed forest steps do. So earlier on, it's doing more kind of low-level syntactic stuff. It's figuring out, you know, this is a noun, um, uh, this uh, it adjusting, you know, figuring out, is it... So, so, for example, in the case of River Bank versus Financial Institution Bank, right. the the transformer would pull in information, say there's the word river nearby, but then... I think the feed the um, feed forward step would then use the fact that river would to kind of transform bank into the new vector. So it'd be a two step thing. It, it's not that the transport. It's not that the attention step would turn the vector for bank into a river bank. It's that it would grab the information the feed forward step needs to do okay. that, and then so so that's that. I mean, that's I don't. Know, it's hard to talk about in detail because again, we don't. We, we only well, know a certain amount. That's the
1: amazing numbers. thing. Is like kind of how little we know and i guess i'm i'm still a little unclear on like what you know i I mean obviously large language models you know humans do create a very elaborate set of algorithms in the course of creating a large language model i mean they are Mm. doing in some sense a lot of the work uh but it's still uh kind of amazing how much the machine does. I mean, like, here's a sentence for, from, here's a passage from your piece. How did the network decide Mary was the right word to copy? Working backwards through GPT-2's computational process, so this was an early version, um, the scientists found a group of four attention heads that they called subject inhibition heads that marked the second John vector in a way that blocked the name mover heads from copying the name John. So I mean this sounds like functionality like this subject inhibition name mover that even the people who designed the large language models did not necessarily know whatever exists within the model, right? Right,
0: not not at all. Yeah, it's that that uh, all of those steps were completely quote unquote invented through this kind of evolutionary process of training the model.
1: Uh, yeah, it kind of amazes me that they could have given it instructions uh I guess I would say so generic yet so powerful embedded yeah. in the, in the surrounding algorithm. Of course, as you suggest the the, the key is that it goes very much like evolution. It goes through steps, uh, of training. Right. And, right. um, and at this point, um, something called back propagation, uh, enters in. I, we may have talked about that. I think we alluded to this last time we talked, but, uh, Do you want to talk a little about, about that, about what it is that makes this, I mean, just describe the whole, maybe, yeah, start from scratch, kind of describe the training. We hear the word training, but like, what does training consist of and where does this back propagation thing enter in?
0: Sure. So, I mean, at a a very high level, all training is doing is you give the, um, you give the model a sentence and, or you give the model the first part of a sentence and you ask it to predict the next word. And when you, at the very beginning of the process, the um, the model is trained with completely random values. And so it'll just, it'll get it wrong. But then you update each of the, each of the parameters in the model to make it a little bit more likely to uh, give the right answer the next time um, for the next word. And you just repeat that, uh, billions of times and over time it gets closer and closer to, um, the right answer. And, um, yeah, so that's, that, that's really the, at a high level, that's what it does. And, um, the, the way it does it is that, um, there's a, it's, it's it's hard it's hard to really describe it without getting into the math. I mean, so there's a there's there's a gradient um, for each um, the the large language model is a, a sequence of functions where the, the output of one function goes into the input of the next function, and for mm-hmm. each one, it's a continuous function. So there's a gradient going up or it's going down, and all the backpropagation algorithm does is it works backwards. It says, okay, the right answer should have been. You know, this particular output should have been a high value and it was a low value. And so we're going to go backwards and look at for the, the function. We're going to adjust each function to make the value for that output go up. Mm-hmm. And you just go all the way back to the model and say for every single one, how would we need to change this parameter to make the, the answer closer to the right answer? And the reason this is difficult is because um, these functions are intertwined. So they'll, they'll be, as you go backwards, um, a parameter will affect many different out- outputs, and so there's some calculus involved to figure out how much you adjust each model to get the right output. Um, but the, I don't think the like details of that math is super important. It's just it's just like uh, like evolution. You know, evolution takes billions of years to produce human beings. By the same in the same way, it, you have to go through billions of words. And each step only makes it very, very slightly more likely to come up with the right answer. Um, but if you do it enough, it somehow kind of figures out um well, you know the the right set of of weights in the model is is what it's called and
1: also is back propagation sort of a shortcut in the sense that lamarckian evolution would be a shortcut in other words um if if they had never invented back propagation mm. they could still tell these models to randomly reconfigure themselves and try again right, right. but but back propagation uh, kind of gives them some clues as to how they might rewire themselves next time before they try again. And so, you know, like we think of yeah. mutations as being random and, you know, there's ongoing discussion about in what, sense they are random and so on. Uh, but, you know, what, what, uh, you know, of course, what Lamarck thought was that they were highly non-random in the sense that like, if I lift weights and get strong, my son will be born stronger. Right. And, and, right. and there's not, there's not that much of a shortcut, uh, you know, right. the mutations are more random than that. But the point is that back propagation kind of makes the mutations less random.
0: Yes, that is exactly right. Yeah. So if you imagine some sort of reproductive process where you're, you're, experiment it could like give some kind of hint about oh this gene wasn't working out well so you should pick the other gene something like that um right. that not, there's nothing like that in evolution but yes that's exactly what it is it's um you're sending back kind of a hint to the to the um kind of genes of the model saying this one didn't work well do more of this do less of that and right. it, that those signals flow backwards through the model so that every each of those 96 layers is going to work a little bit better than it did the uh-huh. previous time yep that's exactly right
1: let me um get back to this issue of reverse engineering the human mind and elaborate a little on what I mean. I guess there's I guess I'm kind of saying uh two things. One uh is we've kind of already said which is that you know the LLMs all you give them is surface level linguistic output with no explicit instruction about meaning and they kind of on their own construct a very elaborate what is for practical purposes, an elaborate semantic representation that no doubt has something in common with the semantic representation in our own minds. As you said, physically, mechanically, physical neurons are different from what's going on. Mm -hmm. But we have good reason to believe that, you know, our our brains are kind of mapping words, uh, the meaning of words, in a kind of a multidimensional space. And, you know, uh, what leads me to the second thing I want to say about this is there are, um, you know, there are particular properties that when you're having trouble remembering something are salient. Like we tend to remember, uh, for example, the stat the relative status of people. There was, you know, uh, when Ronald Reagan, after he had dementia, there was a there was a case where uh, his 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 former secretary of state, George Schultz paid him a visit mm-hmm. and he didn't re- he, did, he didn't he, he had a pleasant conversation with him, but really didn't know who he was. And then after he left, he said to Nancy, that was a very important man, wasn't it? So that was like that was he remembered the status and the fact that the fact that that was so salient is a product not just generically of semantic mapping, but of our peculiar evolutionary history. The human mind pays attention to status just as it pays attention to how dangerous animals are and how fast they run. Um, right. So I guess, I, I, I guess I'm guess i making the claim at those two levels at a, at a minimum. Um, and maybe that's as far as I'd go with it.
0: Uh, so, so you're saying that, I mean, because the LLMs I don't think have, I would I would expect they don't have a lot of that kind of baggage in the sense that there's no, not but they
1: they acquire ours by virtue of processing yes. our language. Right, yeah. They, that they, I agree with. They speak as if they shared our evolutionary history is what I mean. Um that that that's probably true. Yeah. I mean, to, to the they're extent just imitating human beings yeah to, to the, the extent job. it's
0: reflected in how we write things yes absolutely yeah um yeah so I, I I actually said something that came to mind here is that so this is a good example actually of the kind of research you were asking what my co-author Sean Trot did um one of the things he would do is um he, he had a, a experiment where he would um take so you have these uh words like Bank that have multiple meanings and um there's also a a, a set of words called um uh what is this I think it is, that are more similar. So like you could say um, you work at a magazine versus you pick up a magazine. Um, Those are very closely related words. And what he would do is he would ask people to draw, to place examples like that, to rate how closely or how how similar or not similar they are. Mm -hmm. And then he would compare that to the vectors in the large language model. As as you expect, there would be a pretty strong correlation that the words that the people said were very similar to each other, the senses that people said were very similar to each other tended to have similar vectors in a large language model. And the words that people thought were pretty different, like the two meanings of bank, those would have very different vectors. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because this gives, I think this is useful for linguists and um, cognitive scientists because it gives them a numerical way to, the large language model gives, and word vectors give people a numerical way to, um, to represent kind of fuzzy concepts, like how similar are words. You can now put mm-hmm. a number on it because you can take a large language model that generally seems to understand the language and that then lets you do certain kinds of research that would be hard to do otherwise. So that's an example of how kind of this is useful for cognitive science.
1: Yeah. Um, and just to be completely clear, the 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 math. Well, to be clear, two things. The distinction you're making between magazines is like, if you if you work if you put out a magazine, to say you work at the magazine means you work for an institution to put out a magazine. It's right. not quite the same as the physical magazine. right? The,
0: the, the, the bundle of papers is not pay, paying your paycheck or telling you what articles to write. So there's two different, there's a the physical object and there's the organization. And we use the same word for it. And for the obvious reason that they're very related, the one puts out the other. Um, right. But when you say he works at the magazine, our brains like automatically think, okay, that's the organization. It's not the physical mm-hmm. um, thing or it's not. I mean, there's also like a gun can have a magazine. I mean, there's many meanings of magazine and we automatically based on context, figure out like which meaning we have in mind.
1: Yeah. Um, now you also talk about, you, uh, there are two things you refer to that were in that Sparks of AGI paper that came out of Microsoft. Uh, the other one is so-called theory of mind where, where, you know, we, our, pe- our species at least has this ability to kind of try to figure out what things look like from the point of view of somebody else, uh, sometimes just in a very, uh, mundane sense, like, uh, They didn't see me hide this thing in this drawer. So uh, they don't know that the thing is in the drawer. Uh, But sometimes it has to do with your understanding of human nature more subtly. Uh, They, if I say this thing, they might be offended. Um, All those things we do. And as you note, um, uh, GPT has gotten better and better at solving the kind of mundane lab type uh, tests. And I guess, you know, that's, another manifestation of what I'd call kind of the re- the reverse engineering of the human mind in a sense. Um, yeah. And I would I would encourage, you know, uh, doubters on theory of mind to Google a piece I wrote for the newsletter called, uh, I think it's like ChatGPT has cognitive empathy or something, but it's in the non-zero newsletter. And, you know, I gave it this thought experiment. I said to ChatGPT, like suppose um, there's a student in a class raises his hand uh gives an answer and the teacher says "Uh, i guess i've heard worse answers but i can't remember when and i said first how do you think the student will feel and it got it right i mean it's always very circumspect it says well it always starts out with this preamble well you know it could mean a lot of things but but then it gives this list of possibilities that are in rough order of probability you know And then I said, uh, and how do you think other students in the class observing this would feel? Uh, How would they react? And it does a good job. And then I said, "Okay, and suppose there's a student who is romantically attracted to the girlfriend of the student who answered the question, how is that student going to feel? And it did the little preamble, but then the first answer was the word schadenfreude. It was like, and it just, (laughs) and on elaborating, it just completely nailed it. And I I just, you know, it's funny that I I considered it uncanny at the time. And it's an uncanny feeling to have this conversation with this thing that keeps answering intelligently, no matter how hard you press it. But in a way, Mm. the more I think about the way these uh, models work in a certain sense, the less surprised I am. Is that, is that the feeling you've had in the course of exploring the workings of these things that it seems less and less like magic?
0: I mean, you know, anything, as you get more used to it, it seems less like magic. Um, So yeah, I I think that, um, I think before large language models came along, I think it was just really hard to have a good intuition for kind of what about the human mind is like kind of complicated and difficult to understand. Explain and what's kind of simple, and um, so now that we just have something to compare it to, it less, helps us think more clearly about like what is the human brain good at, what is it not good at, and how do the pieces fit together. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm still quite impressed with it, and I don't feel like I really understood the so. So the simple things, the the kind of like um, at the level of individual senses, you can kind of trace through. You know, this is probably why I picked this next word. Um, I don't think anybody has a sense for like. That kind of complicated stuff. I'm sure there's dozens of attention heads and feed forward networks and steps that to, to like come up with that answer. And I, I doubt anybody is close to understanding that. Um, but at a high level, in the same way that I can understand like roughly how evolution produces wings or eyes or whatever, without like actually understanding every step, I think the same kind of thing. It's like um, if you were going to build an AI to to like converse to converse, it would have to have the abilities that that large language models do because to predict the next word, you need to be thinking in a human-like way because you're trying to predict what a human would say.
1: Yeah, I've heard people say when you think about it, that's kind of what the human mind does. It keeps predicting the next word. I'm not yet sold on that. Does that make sense to you? That that uh well, I, I think it's not everything the human brain does. So I
0: I definitely think, you know, like for example, the human eye has a lot of circuitry that does a lot of pattern recognition and this, not predicting the next word. And so I would, my guess is probably the human brain is, I don't know, pick a number 10 or 20%, a large language model, something like mm-hmm. a large language model. And then there's other stuff. There's long range planning and there's image recognition and there's, you know, uh, so there's lots of kind of circuits that do different things. Um, but yes, I, I think that there probably is. Um, my sense is that the, the human mind, a lot of what we do is kind of tell stories about our to ourselves, about ourselves and to other people. And so, um, the idea that a lot of human cognition involves, um, kind of well. another thing I, I've really been struck by recently, I've got a two-year-old and, um, how often she will pick up phrases and understand the meanings of the phrases mm-hmm. before she understands the individual words. She'll often she'll mangle it. She's not, not yeah. pronouncing the individual words correctly, but the phrase she'll understand in the context, like this is like, like, um, like the phrase, here you go. My wife will say that a lot. And so my two-year-old will say, he go and hand something to somebody. Yeah. Um, and clearly she she's predicting that in this certain situation, the correct set of noises to make is roughly here you go, mm-hmm. um, long before she could like diagram that sentence and say, this is the verb, or this is mm-hmm. the noun. So in some sense, yeah, I think the human brain is at a very high level prediction machine and language is about understanding in this kind of situation we use these kind these words, and mm-hmm. over time, I think we get more and more sophisticated in very at a very high level, in the same way that large language models do. although mm-hmm. uh, the details are obviously different.
1: That reminds me, of my, my one of my daughters, when she was about three, we were at the at the park, and there was other kids playing, you know, a sandbox and shovels and stuff. And she looked at another kid's like shovel and said, "My shovel." And I said, "No, that's not your shovel. It's similar to your shovel." And she said, "What is similar?" And I said, well, it means it's kind of like, but not exactly like. She said, oh, I call that vaguely familiar. And, you know, she didn't know what familiar (laughs) meant and she didn't know what vaguely meant. But it was just like, uh, yeah. Uh, But, no, we are prediction machines in a lot of ways. I mean, sometimes um, you, uh, well, as you go through life in terms of visual field, you know, when you really pay attention, what you see Frames your expectations about what you're going to see next. Mm -mm. Um, Or, well, I won't go into that. But anyway, so listen, um, we have been talking almost an hour, and it is typical or common on this podcast to do about an hour of public podcast and then go into overtime. Uh, Overtime is available to people who are paid subscribers uh, of the non-zero newsletter. And I'm sure that as the proprietor of the understanding AI newsletter, you're sympathetic to uh, all known fundraising schemes. Um, the, uh, and by the way, are you, are you keeping up your other newsletter? Your uh, what is it? Full stack economics that that's on hold. Is that Yeah, on that's on hold. So the,
0: the, the i newsletter has been successful enough that i'm going to keep doing it full time for at least a few more months um i mean indefinitely um mm-hmm. at some point i would love to go back to writing about economics um but uh yeah i'm not I'm, it's basically on hold for now but people was, should still sign up at some point i might you know occasionally i expect to write something but it's it's not going to be my main
1: focus it was courageous of you to start a whole new uh newsletter because then you've got to rebuild your subscription base were, were you not tempted to just kind of change the uh, focus of, of the existing one? I did think about that. Um, partly I
0: wanted to, from like an entrepreneurial perspective, I wanted to learn, like, was there an a appetite for this? And so if I mm-hmm. switched it over, I'd have a bunch of people canceling. And so be, I wouldn't get a clear signal. And so starting from scratch gave me a sense for how many people really wanted an AI newsletter as opposed to like grudgingly reading the one I already had. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, huh. a big reason I did it. Um and I found it it's hard like it is a different audience like I've I think I probably got um maybe ten or twenty percent of the people from my old newsletter do the new one so um, I think a lot of people would have been irritated if I you know kind of forcibly and, and I think what would have ended up happening is I would have like not fully switched over I would have still written a lot about economics and maybe not reached a new audience mm-hmm. so I'm I'm glad I did it this way because I get a kind of a clearer you know cleaner information about what what the market for the two types of topics are
1: okay. But enough about your newsletter. Back to my newsletter. Um, the uh, <laughs> although everyone should subscribe to Understanding AI, um, the uh so yeah, you can uh to become a paid subscriber, you can go to just Google non-zero and substack, you can uh click the link in the show notes of, of the podcast app you're listening to. Um, and then you they go there and there there first of all there will be a post on the newsletter corresponding to this, but moreover, if you go to the uh, upper right, there's a thing you can click that ultimately leads you to a way to set up a podcast feed that will always have uh, all the bonus content, all the overtimes. Uh, so, in this overtime, uh, I want to talk about. I want to. I want to get into some of the some of the big issues uh, uh, that we've chewed over a little. Uh, but it's been a while since we talked. You know, how worried should we be uh, about the future of AI? Uh, and I saw you tweeted recently about how plausible, su- quote, super intelligence of the kind, uh, Nick Bostrom mentions uh, is, is, or isn't. So, um, want to talk about all that, uh, stuff. Uh, meanwhile, thanks to everybody who's uh, listened this far, even if you're not going to join us in overtime, but, uh, we are heading into overtime.